Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome in to another edition of the Daily Sports News Podcast. I am Bennett Conlon, joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. Jack, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. How are you on this Wednesday night? I'm doing well. I'm doing I've, well. Have you recovered from uh, last night's near win? Not yet. Still processing, still grieving a little bit. Yeah. You know, it was a game I think Jamie had, and they blew. <laughs> They're clearly the superior team in, in pretty much every sport. UVA is sort of like a little brother mentality. So tough to lose the little brother, right? Well, they're worse academically. They're worth worse athletically so it's a, it's a tough one for sure to lose to such a uh you know such an irrelevant institution in the commonwealth <laughs> what an insane game well, well of course we'll talk not a, yeah of course we'll talk about it later but what an insane game from like start to finish that jmu again was in a close game with uva and it's just like oh maybe this is a game they should schedule more often because i know it'd be a lot of fun to have like a game in like nationally relevant with two homer announcers to call it each year. They've played like the the games the last two years from like our perspective. I've been like thrilled. <laughs> oh, the UVA fans seat. are probably like never scheduled change. UVA fans are probably ticked. If you happen to watch those games as a casual fan, you're probably bored out of your mind. Like May they have were. Been, yeah. Like I mean there were points I was bored out of my mind. <laughs> yes, it was <laughs> really low scoring. We'll get to it all in a second. But it was it was fun to watch for sure. And, um, you know, some people, you know, maybe they're sitting there watching it with a three-notch beer in hand. Which three-notch beer in hand? That's a great question. That's a question we got from a listener. It is. Well, I will. Well, I guess we'll dive into that later. We'll dive Our into that Our favorite later. beer. So, so don't, but don't tip your hand too soon. I won't. But three-notch, they have an exclusive beer dropping Friday. That was weeks ago. Sweet potato <laughs> casserole. I'm hoping still is there because it was actually sneaky good. I would give it a shot if you're in Harrisonburg. Definitely game put day. in a flight. Definitely put in a flight. Yes, if you yes. Get a flight, I, would, I think that's the, the strategy. They had that Duke of Clouds deal. Do they do that on basketball game days? Let's say. Let's say they do. Let's put it <laughs> on them. We I challenge no you idea. three knots. We challenge you to do that. All right. So keep it up. We we'll love have to it. message them. We'll have to figure out. We need new. We need basketball relevant um, lower thirds here to run. We do. We do. But on an exciting note. We have continued the partnership with Three Notched. Yes. So we'll have it through basketball season. We'll continue to uh, be promoting Three Notched. Of course, best brewery in all of Harrisonburg. We'll be hyping up all their exclusive beer drops that they have, like Sweet Potato Casserole. We'll talk with them about game day exclusives and uh, try and get over to JMU maybe later in the season for a conference game later on. Uh, Maybe we'll plan it a little bit better than we planned our football, like randomly going at Friday an hour before they close and drink in our corner with the tv yeah. and especially sofa, but yeah yeah because they're giving us 50k an episode which is highly <laughs> generous oh wait did i tell you it was 50k <laughs> i'm so sorry it's actually 125 i just pocket the rest yeah that'd be sweet if you just put it all in like a separate <laughs> account you're like that this is that's what they're giving <laughs> i'm sorry man it's two dollars every five episodes <laughs> you know what else is paying us? Is <laughs> that's, good. that's a good segue. <laughs> you knew who our other ad is. <laughs> Folks, basketball is back. Me and Bennett, we are hyped that college basketball is back so we can responsibly and legally bet on all things college hoops. Maryland just legalized, so Bennett can do this legally. I drive up to the to Virginia, to Richmond to place my bets legally. Probably shouldn't say that, but basketball is back in <laughs> bet online platforms other than bet online. <laughs> oh, this, this episode is already off the rails. All right, basketball is back in bet online remains your number one source for all of your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at bet online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, bet online features live betting free contests and giveaways all season long always the fastest and always the easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports and events whether that's nfl nba nhl mma tennis boxing college hoops bowl season even golf just head to betonline.ag 
that's betonline.ag, to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, that's promo code B-L-E-A-V, yep, to receive your 50% welcome bonus bet online. Where the game starts. Heck yeah. And you know where this podcast is starting today? No. Thanks for the silence, Bennett. Really great <laughs> for the podcast listeners. This podcast today is starting men's basketball takes UVA to the wire. And I'm chalking that up as a dub because if you had told me <laughs> that they would have been able to stick in a close game with the Cavs, I would have called you crazy. It was a 55-50 loss. JMU outscored by seven in the first half. They outscored the Cavaliers by two in the second half. Uh, they had double-digit performances from Takal Molson and Vado Morse. And UVA, on the other hand, Kihei Clark decided to have one of his best career games. Um, dropped 18 points, 5 of 11 shooting, 2 of 5 from deep. And Jaden Gardner and the announcers really like saying this. In his fifth straight year playing the Dukes, he dropped 14. Yeah, he's just... Uh, they got good players. And then, like, Reese Beekman played four minutes. And that was big. That was big. Aggravating. I think, the, I think that game's very different if Reese Beekman plays. <laughs> he's he's their best player. So I think, like, that's a, probably a good starting point is, is a little caveat is that he missed 36 of the 40 minutes. Certainly helpful. Honestly, he did kind of score surprised. two points in the four minutes he played. I'm like, surprised they played him, to be honest. Really? Yeah, because he, he was battling like an ankle, and I guess his hamstring then was also a little bit tough. Yeah. And they play Houston, number one team in the country, on the 17th. Yeah. And I don't I think it was JMU and then a break until the 17th. Two weeks. So it didn't, yeah, it didn't make a lot of sense that they really wanted to trot him out there if he wasn't 100%. But they went with – I guess that's how much they respect Mark Byington and the boys. I also wonder if it's like a rust thing, like if he was actually then going to be off then for like yeah. two and a half weeks <laughs> that they were like, maybe we should just get him a quick run. I doubt he was on a full workload even last night. We will never know because he only got four minutes, but I doubt he would would have logged like 37 minutes. Yeah, it probably would have been more where they get him like maybe something in the 20s or whatever. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? But what, what was a big standout to you in this game? Like how did JMU stick around? I took some notes after the game while it was all fresh, so I'm excited to talk about oh, the great. notes I took. Um, what JMU did well to just stick around. Some of it was that UVA missed free throws toward the end, which was helpful. But a lot of it, a lot terrible of it, from the line. Yeah, they missed. They're fifty percent from the line. They took twenty four. A lot of it was that I thought JMU was good defensively and and kind of belonged in the game. Like they've clearly made strides from last year where last year, a lot of that game felt like UVA was bricking wide open threes and JMU was intentionally just leaving three point shooters wide open. Cause they knew they would brick them this year. They didn't have that luxury Armand Franklin hit a couple of threes and looked pretty good at times. Clark was knocking some down and kind of surprised looking at his stats where it was only five of 11 and six of 12 from the free throw line. It felt like he was playing better than that. I think it's because he hit a few clutch. He had hit that, he hit that one clutch three when I think Jamie was down one or it was tied or something late in the game, and he just decides to like hit the biggest shot of the season right in whoever was guarding him's face. That's what he always seems seems to do. He's, he's very <laughs> annoying to play against. So I was just impressed though. I thought Jamie looked the part of like a top seventy five, hundred team. They they seemed good. Molson was obviously a stud, right? He was he was awesome. It kind of took over because there wasn't a ton of like ball movement or anything like that going on. And I was laughing because I was reading a breeze article earlier in the week and I forget exactly who said it, but it was, someone was like, you know, UVA, they try to slow it down. We try to go fast. We just got to do our thing. And as someone who covered Virginia for a couple of years, <laughs> you just can't like, it's way easier to slow things down than it is to speed it up. You can't play like a breakneck pace against UVA because they're going to slow it down so much and make it. So you really don't have transition opportunities. Yeah, and I think that was really evident. Granted, JMU, from tip-off to the first media timeout, played exceptionally well and and technically won like that stretch of the game by a few points. 
But there were moments early on in the game when I think they were out there trying to play their pace, trying to play their game. And you saw Vado on a breakaway kind of had one guy on him and decides to like flail it up off of the top of the backboard looking to try and get a call. Doesn't get a call because there was absolutely no contact. And there were other moments where it's just like you can slow down, like take a breath. Like not only is UVA a good defense, but they're good in transition. So like you don't have to run. And it's also okay because each possession when you play UVA is so magnified because they do take so long on the offensive side that not only is their defense great, their offensive tempo is so low that you can't waste opportunities. And it felt like the the Dukes kind of early on in the game were wasting opportunities by just trying to play their game. And then eventually things kind of settled down. They understood that we can play some more half-court offense. We can play our half-court sets. And I think that's when, especially in the second half, JMU started to claw back into it. They hit some timely shots. And they were okay waiting for deeper in the shot clock to take it rather than trying, like, pass, 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 drive. Instead, they were pass, 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 drive, kick out, pass, drive, contested lay-in or shot in the paint. But kind of the flip-flop, the difference in the first half to the second half, no free throws in the first half. They were very quick to settle for jumpers, keep it behind the arc, try and get from three, keep up a quick pace. Then in the second half, 18 free throws, much much more like willing and able to go into the paint and draw fouls. I think it was a fantastic halftime adjustment by Byington. Yeah, they, they kind of attacked, and they, they did way better attacking than I thought they would, right, where they were able to draw some fouls, get in the bonus, things like that. They also had 13 offensive rebounds. Like, I was surprised at how many opportunities they had for second-chance points. They didn't cash necessarily all of those in. They had seven second-chance points on 13 offensive rebounds. But still, like, to grab that many rebounds and play at that level was something that really impressed me and and kind of surprised me a little bit, too. Uh, I didn't expect that coming in. UVA usually does a good job defensively clearing the glass and, and limiting you to one possession. Yeah, I mean, the 13 offensive rebounds was absolutely insane to watch. And I didn't think they would be able to do that against kind of that front line. Um, not front line. You front know court, I mean. yeah. Front <laughs> The front line. Front line, it sounds sounds fine. Especially with Shedrick and Gardner, like bigger bodies that are able to kind of pound down low. Shedrick, I think, got into foul trouble at one point, though. No, he didn't. He only had two. Franklin yeah, Nick- got into foul trouble. Yeah, and then Shedrick got nicked in the face again. He's had like three consecutive games where he's gotten hit in the face, so I think he's he's probably tired of that. But then even the uh, the Ohio transfer Vanderplas, uh, Bennett Vanderplas, who goes by Ben, which is a little disappointing, but that's all right. He is a pretty big dude. He's like, go ahead, finish your thought. (laughs) Well, he's six eight two thirty five. Like you know what I mean? Like that's JMU center, and that's like one of their like maybe third biggest guy. Yeah, I was gonna say instrumental in the upset that Ohio pulled off against Ohio yes. pulled off against UVA a few years back, and then just transfers yes. to UVA, which I thought was kind of when I saw him run out on the court. I watched UVA Michigan a few nights ago. When I saw him run out on the court, I was like, "Huh, <laughs> that interesting! Guy. Isn't that the guy that destroyed UVA a few years ago in the in, in the NCAA tournament?" Um, but yeah, it gave me a lot of hope moving forward. Like. This team can rebound well. They get second chance opportunities. They when they, they they get shots, it's just you have to hit them sometimes. There were moments where you had uncontested layups and you just kind of missed um, some three pointers that you just gotta bury, especially late in the game. But overall, it gave me a lot of hope because everything that I was questioning coming into this game, defensive ability, uh, rebounding ability. And kind of clutchness all came up huge. And if to call Molson, if he can bottle how he plays in the final two minutes of each game into that over 40, he'd be one of the best players in the mid-majors. Yeah, that was fantastic. And I think it's interesting, too, because obviously they're not playing a team like UVA again this year. So unless they make the NCAA tournament. But yeah. it's one where the Sun Belt... They have some teams that play at slower tempos, but they don't have a team other than JMU in the top 125 in Ken Palm of defensive efficiency. So it's it's a spot where like there's nobody that can do what UVA does defensively in the Sun Belt, which isn't like groundbreaking news, right? I don't think anyone thought that like Troy played the same level of defense as Virginia. But it's a good reminder that like, hey, if you can hang with UVA. Even hanging with UNC, which I know yeah. we've gotten into our Twitter arguments about what we can actually take away from the UNC game, 
But there was a point when they were a shot away from, like, getting it close. And yeah. I know this is such a stupid what if, but, like, genuinely, you're one shot away from keeping it relatively close with one of the better teams in the country. And I know they're sliding and people are calling them frauds, which they are. I, I will say, UNC's not that great of a team. They weren't the number one team uh, coming into the season. But it's worth noting, they matched up extremely well with JMU. A fantastic lockdown perimeter defender. Uh, one of the best post players in the entire nation. Matched up with Caleb Love and RJ Davis and Pete Nance. All are just like knockdown three-point shooters. And I think a big reason JMU succeeded and their defense looks so good against UVA is because... They are able, they were kind of able to get away with playing a little bit overly aggressive and leaving a man open for a beat. And then he clangs it and misses the three. Where UNC, they were burying it. Like if you gave Pete Nance, if you gave Caleb Love, if you gave RJ Davis a slimmer, a glimmer of kind of light, they're going to bury that three point shot. Where UVA, you're not necessarily scared. You're not shaking in your boots over an Armand Franklin three, a Kihei Clark three type of thing which I think made Jamie's defense look a lot better than it actually is. But at the same time, like you said, if you're looking in the Sun Belt only, according to Ken Palm's adjusted defensive ranks, they are by far the best team in the Sun Belt. Yeah, and it's like the, the teams they're going up against, some of them do go significantly slower than JMU. But it's like when you're not playing UVA, I think JMU could dictate that tempo a little more, right? Creating some turnovers getting out and actually playing a faster and speeding teams up a little bit. Yeah. Whereas like UVA with Tony Bennett and his gazillion season with them as like a national title contender and ACC contender, probably not speeding up like 23rd year yeah. Kihei Clark. Cause he's just like, <laughs> he's 45 years old and he like their lucky Beekman wasn't there certainly. Uh, Cause if he's in there, he also is probably more efficient. They knocks down some shots and do some things defensively. They couldn't, but yeah, I thought Jamie was really impressive. The Sun Belt is not intimidating. Like it's a league that JMU should contend for at the very least. So that leads me perfect segue into our men's basketball hot takes. This finish, this game finished, and I texted you. I have an extremely hot take that I'm not going to tell you until we record the podcast tomorrow night. Well, Very it's exciting. the podcast tomorrow night. You ready for this? Yes. Men's basketball hot take from Jack Fitzpatrick as Bennett sips his Earl Grey tea. What flavor is it? This is actually a um, a mint medley. Okay, wonderful. James Madison University men's basketball will not lose a conference game this season. That's the hottest take I've ever heard. <laughs> That's insanity. <laughs> I, I like it. I think it's insanity. So Ken Palm's got a projected to go 14-4, and four, but it does have it them currently they would be favored in, in every game. 17 of the 18. And the one is a road game against Marshall where they'd be a one point dog. So you have them going 18 and 0 in Sunbelt play. Hey, they don't call these mediocre, they, they don't call these lukewarm takes, buddy. These are hot cool. takes. And JMU, if you wanted a lukewarm take, the lukewarm take is JMU won't lose a conference game at home. But come on, mm. they defend the AUBC really well. And playing at home is a much different beast than playing on the road, which is why the hot take is they're not losing on the, they're not losing at all this conference season. It's definitely a hot take. If they do, I think they would actually warrant that large consideration. I don't know about that because the Sun Belt is really bad. And like, well, do you think do you think they're losing to LIU or Coppin State? You know how Coppin State plays the Dukes. Stop it. No, I don't think they're losing to LIU or Coppin State, and I think they might. It'll be a close one against Gallaudet. Um. I think but no, no, no. I think I think there's and, a genuine chance they win out this season. I think they'd be 28 and three. Then you got to look at them as an at-large if they're 28 and you three. You do, you 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 do 100. I just don't know if their Ken Palm becomes a big time if it jumps up enough. I would I would think they were an at-large team, but at the same time, like I'm not saying 100 that it's an at-large team because the committee does weird no. things. They put it. They put a 500 Syracuse team in one year. That's basically what they would have to do to get an at-large, though, because they would have, you know, basically no good wins. I also will say the other hot kind of hot take, and it is a hot take, and I don't stand by it as much as more prisoner of the moment tweeting it. I said JMU will be ranked at one point this season. Mm -hmm. I think they might like sniff a top 25. That's a hot like... take too. If they if they do the winning out thing, they could. Yeah, <laughs> I could see that happening. I just 
I, I just think that, that game, I think that game made me really buy into this team. And I'm like, if, and again, you, you kind of got, you lost by double digits to UNC didn't look great in that game, but then against UVA, who's a technically a better team, you, you nearly win. And so I just had this hope where I'm just like, you know, there's, there's a strong possibility that this team is actually legit. And against Sunbelt opponents who are much worse than this UVA team, they should be able to do what they want and control the games. Now it is college basketball. It is mid-major basketball. So each game is just a completely different beast, but JMU has the talent. They have the coaching. They have the ability to win out. My goal would be for them to make some sort of postseason event. Like, so you win the regular season title, you make the NIT or you make the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Cause they're, they're good enough. I would like them to do that. If they win out. That'd be incredible. But it would be nice for me if they just do that. And my, this is not really a hot take for me, but the take that I had yesterday was that I'm kind of bummed even more so about the schedule now that they're really good. Yes. Like I'm going to get up for conference play and be interested, (laughs) right? But it's like the teams themselves, other than like Marshall, where it's like kind of close and they also play fast, where it's like, okay, I will watch that game. But the other ones, like, I don't know, they're just not that. Not that you're exciting. Me, you're telling me you're not getting up for a January a Thursday, January nineteenth game against Troy. That one might of the games that one. Will that be actually might be a good one because Troy. But it's still like, it's still bad. You're telling me you're not getting up for Thursday, February sixteenth against ODU. You're telling me you're not getting up for a Thursday, January fifth game against Texas State. It's just not doing it. It's it's some of them are even tougher where it's like the Georgia Southerns and the Georgia State and the, some of the teams suck like ULM is horrible Arkansas State Arkansas State's own fans today I don't know if you saw this on Twitter are just roasting themselves because Arkansas State sucks at every sport. I will say yeah, above me out not necessarily about the the conference slate because the CIA conference slate. The only reason we were excited about those games is because it was years of like built in understand like. I looked forward to Delaware because I remembered what they did to us the year before where I think in a few years, the non-conference slate, while it might not be good teams, we'll be looking forward to regardless. And like, we even have two games against ODU. Troy's looking solid. Like this conference slate could be a lot worse. It could be a lot better, but it could be a lot worse. I'm just so bummed that the non-conference slate, and I know it's out of everyone's control. We're still feeling the ramifications of COVID in terms of basketball scheduling. So it makes sense why it was kind of a bad schedule, but I just hope in the future, we can nail down UVA as just a home and home in perpetuity, but I doubt that ever happens. Maybe a two and one that eventually moves to a one and one if JMU ever gets better. But I would love to see Mason always on our schedule, VCU always on our schedule, Richmond always on our schedule, or even flip flop VCU and Richmond every other, like one year it's VCU, one year it's Richmond, and then get them down to Harrisonburg. I think it would be so much fun to play some of these really good mid-major Virginia teams consistently and then sprinkle in a UVA and Virginia Tech every now and then. Even sprinkle in a UNC, a Wake Forest, an NC State every few years. Like Get more of these regional games in non-conference, but also spread it out where you're not playing the number one and number three team in the nation when you play them. Let's get like number 42 so we can see... Well, we're ranked 75th in Kempom. How do we stack up against the 42nd best team in the nation? Maybe, and I know, like, I'm just rambling now about it, but I would love to see that. Yeah, that's kind of my my thought too, is gosh, it would be cool if they had some, like, I don't know, it's just weird because it's like, we think they're good. They've blown out some teams. Valpo loss is weird, but then they have two losses to like, Two of the best teams in the ACC and North Carolina is still probably going to be toward the top of the ACC because some of those teams are terrible. North Carolina is 23rd in Ken Palm right now. Like they're not a top 25 team, but they're still a like AP voting wise, but like analytically wise, they're a top 25 team. They also haven't lost like at home yet. One of their losses is four overtimes to Alabama. <laughs> like, I don't know. I feel like people are kind of ragging them too much. We're like, yes, they were not the number one team in the country but they're still very capable. And I think once you get them into conference play, they're going to pick up some wins and start to look a little more like you would expect. And a lot of that is because Caleb Love is probably going to shoot a higher percentage from three <laughs> in like two weeks. Cause that's how Caleb Love works. <laughs> so it's, I don't know, but it's, it's just frustrating. It's like you get UNC, you get UVA and then you get a bunch of, and then you get LIU 
And like that one was only fun because it's Strickland's dad and Strickland hasn't played yet. I'm completely <laughs> joking. Yeah, that's the only reason that game had any type of like, woo, LIU's on the schedule. But they're particularly all, bad. They are worse than Hampton. I mean, they're like one of the worst teams. In the they are 352 in Ken Palm. <sighs> I don't know how many Division One teams there are, it's but like it three, can't be many more than 352. No, it's like 363. Yeah, so they're. They're pushing the bottom. Wow. Man, I mean, it's just tough. It's just, I just wish they had a better schedule. But they do look good, which is exciting. I think yeah, conference play awesome. could be fun. And it's a, it's a good, positive step in the right direction for the program, which is nice. But, yeah, I'm with you, man. Let's play some more in-state teams in non-conference. We need that. We need it. Worth noting, JMU's chance of being unbeaten is 0.6%. Just like winning out, point six. Yeah. Okay. Which I think is better than I thought in my head. <laughs> I don't think there's any chance they finish below 20 wins. I also don't think there's any chance they finish outside the top three in the Sun Belt. Like I, like, I think they're way better than most of the teams in the Sun Belt. I mean, you look at these teams. Let's, let's, go, into, let's go into Sun Belt. Men's basketball expectations. This segment can go into Sun Belt play, right? Let's click James Madison. Let's click. And I was I was ragging on Arkansas State earlier. We don't even have Arkansas State in the schedule, so <laughs> disaster crisis averted. <laughs> so Mike D'Antoni's brother Dan D'Antoni is the head coach of Marshall Thundering Herd. So last year they were two hundred and thirty eighth in the nation in Ken Palm, twelve and twenty one. They play at an extremely high tempo, regardless. Um, Last season, they were 7th in tempo. This year, they're 20th. Uh, 2021, they were 20th. COVID year, they were 3rd. 2019, they were 5th. Uh, 18, 17, 16, all top 5, 15, 8. So they play at a really high tempo. But what I'm trying to get at is they're traditionally like a low 100, a high 100 type of team, mid 100 uh, last year was kind of the outlier, 238 everywhere else. The next lowest was 261 for Marshall. But around 140s to 100 uh, is normally what Marshall is. JMU is much better than that. And Marshall's the quote-unquote second-best team in the Sun Belt. Like what you, this, this is just to back up what you said, where JMU will finish third at, at, the wor- at worst third in the regular season. I, I can't look at a team and, tell, and you can't tell me with serious eyes and a serious face and say, these four teams are better than JMU. They have teams that like can beat JMU and some teams that are doing some nice things where like maybe Ken Palm hasn't adjusted yet. But there was like some of them I was in in Northwestern states like sneaky, one of the like most improved teams in the country. But it was like Southern Miss is like right no, we're undefeated. We're dogs. And then they lose to Northwestern State. It's like, all right, don't talk to me for like two months. Like, I don't want, <laughs> I don't want to hear from you anymore. You're banished to the other room. And they did beat TCU, although I think TCU might stink. I don't even know. But there's there's some teams in here that are like okay. But some of these teams suck. Like Coastal's terrible. App State's no good. App State fans were like chirping us when I made a joke early in the year about beating whoever the Valley Forge. And like, oh, yeah, you don't know anything. It's like, okay, well, you're like you're terrible. You have a loss to Campbell and Kennesaw State. Like you're not good. They beat Louisville. App State, App State is actually terrible. So okay. App State, App State. I, I saw this firsthand. I went to the Charlotte men's basketball game where they played App State, which is a rivalry in App State's mind, and it's hilarious when Charlotte doesn't consider you a rivalry. They went up <laughs> twenty-seven to five, and I think at one point it was thirty to ten. So like had a very large lead. Lost. Then at one point in the second half, we're trailing by 13, ended up losing by nine. Well, Jack, that makes sense, right? Charlotte's got to be an up-tempo team that flies up and down and can score punches, right? No, Bennett. (laughs) Let me tell you, they're UVA South. Ron Sanchez, former assistant coach of UVA, enjoys running the pack line and Princeton offense. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. So App State's just not good. That, that's a long-winded way to say App State sucks. <laughs> it's just there's so many teams <laughs> that we talk about, like 
football, we're like, wow, this depth is really cool. In basketball, it's like, oh, I don't know. You're looking at like two or three good teams. <laughs> like some <laughs> of these teams really stink. Georgia State and Georgia Southern are horrible. Georgia State went to Northeastern on Sunday and they lost that game by 20. 20. Just can't have that. Georgia Southern is no good. They've gotten blown out by some teams this year, including Rice. It's, they they have, their only wins are three hundred Ken Palm or um, uh, non D ones like so they haven't done anything either. There's just some teams that Jamie you should beat by twenty five, which is why it's hard to be like, oh yeah, they're gonna finish sixth. It's also absolutely hilarious to look at the Sun Belt schedule, see the records seven and one, seven and one, eight and one, and you're like, oh, these teams must be good. They must be right neck and neck with JMU. Nope, 106 in Ken Palm, 136 in Ken Palm, 174 in Ken Palm. And I know Ken Palm's not the end-all, be-all, and sometimes we preach it like it's the gospel here on the JMU Sports News Podcast. But it's just a fun and easy way to like quickly get a gauge on actually how good a team is past their record. And it's just hilarious that these teams with some of the best records in the nation aren't good at all. Like, Smith's 8-1 adjusted efficiency metric. Margin, excuse me. Efficiency margin. Negative. And they're eight and one. Yeah, and it's like they've come on <laughs> so strong since the beginning of the year. And I was like, oh, yeah, maybe there's something there. And then you lose Northwestern State. And it's like, okay, maybe you've been a little inflated. And they have some okay wins. Maybe they're maybe they're better than everyone thinks. Maybe Ken Palm's still low no, on them. Not. It's just too – there's not enough depth in the league to think, Jamie, you should finish outside the top few spots. If there's anyone that Ken Palm should be low on, it's James Madison. Played a Valley Forge team that's a D3 school. Played a 333rd ranked team in Hampton. Played a 301st team in Howard. Played an, a uh, NAIA team in Coastal Georgia. And will be playing another D3 team in Gallaudet. If there's anyone in the Sun Belt that, that, that Ken Palm should be like, maybe we shouldn't be so high on them. It's JMU. You have so many teams, so many games here in the first 10 against teams that aren't in Division One that it should give you a little bit of a sway in the metrics, which also had me dying last night on the broadcast. Well, James Madison, they're the number one offense in the entire nation. <laughs> yes, that was. And they're being held to only 42. And it's like, well, like, you're right. But you're also, like, wrong. Like, yeah, they just got 93 points per game, but they also have played two of the worst teams in all of Division One basketball and two non-Division One teams. Broadcast wasn't good if we want to go there. No, we don't have to go there. I didn't mean to open up that can of worms. You mean you mean former UVA guard Corey Alexander wasn't good when he was just dissecting his former coach? There were so many people that were that were popping in and they were talking about, um, you know, well, this happens all the time on ESPN Plus. This happens all the time. It's like I don't care where the game's broadcast. But also, it, I get for ESPN Plus that's a homemade broadcast. This is ACC Network. This is a national broad. Imagine tuning into ESPN and they're like. I ate at Tony Bennett's house this morning for breakfast because I'm his former player <laughs> and he told me not to say anything bad about him. That was what the broadcast was on a national broadcast where Carlos Boozer and Kelsey Riggs are the halftime people. Like, It was also just a spot where like you can be unbiased. Like Some of the JMU home broadcasts are still like pretty fair broadcasts. And then you tune into a road game, you're like, good lord. So it's like it's not that hard to have an unbiased broadcast or expect that the ACC network is obviously going to like have more Virginia segments. I'm not, I'm not arguing for like, why did you do a feature on Byington? Yeah. It was just like when there's like a foul called and it's like a fair foul on UVA, don't be like, Oh, what a mistake that was <laughs> like, no. Or, or like if you closed your eyes in that game, you would have thought UVA was up a hundred and Jamie, you had missed all of their shots. Like there was a point when they hit the game tying three and, like, you just hear them talking. You're like, if I didn't know any better, Jamie's down 20 right now. Right. It was it was definitely a frustrating broadcast but. for large stretches. But the Sun Belt. Sun Belt sucks. Yep. And end of non-conference. So they have Gallaudet coming up, LIU, Coppin State to wrap up non-conference between now and the 21st of December. Conference play will begin on the 29th uh, against Georgia State. And then conference play for this season will be a Thursday, Saturday. So Friday's off. Um, but going in with these last three games, what's your expectation? What, how are you going to gauge if this is successful or not to finish out the non-conference schedule? Win out. Like they should win those three non-conference games. I would be kind of disappointed if they don't, uh, Cobb and state being on the road 
does, doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't know how that is something that was agreed to, but whatever. <laughs> That's still a game you should win. They're they're not very good. They get blown out a lot by average teams, including Marshall. It's just like a game that JMU should win. They should beat LIU. They the Gallaudet game. I'm not even gonna, you know, register that in my head. But that we're finally done with the non D ones after that one. But like they should win those. Yeah, you can three. call LIU a non D one. Basically, they should be ten and three going into conference play for sure. Do you think any of those are like a true like you can use as kind of a measuring stick? You said Coppin State got blown out by Marshall, so could you use it as a measuring stick? If we blow out Coppin State by X amount, we're better than Marshall, or is it just really just win and it doesn't matter because you can't do the transitive property like that? Yeah, I think just win those and 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 in conference play too. It's some of it like once you get in that point where the the standings count, margin doesn't really matter except for like Ken Palm, where if you beat the crap out of somebody, you you have some pretty good rankings. That's the other reason why JMU, I think both of us are really bullish on them is because they've blown out teams. You look at some of the like seven and one Sunbelt teams and they have like multiple one possession wins. It's like, that's probably not sustainable. Yeah. The only win, the only game that was against a comparable opponent that wasn't a multiple possession win was the Valpo loss, which was a one possession loss in overtime, which is a coin flip, which is like, very much could have won, should have won, everything like that. It is interesting. They play Marshall December 31st, New Year's yeah. Eve in Huntington, West Virginia, and that's the second not that's the second conference game. So pretty pretty much right out of the gate, you get tested. I think if they can get out of Marshall, if they can get out of Huntington with a win, they might be in for a really special season. For sure. And then looking ahead a little bit, February first, four games in February. They have eight conference games that much on the road. But then they end the the conference season with four home games that could be pretty critical, right? I'm assuming they'll be in the hunt to win the regular season title. So that's basically playing at home for, you would think, at the very least an NIT berth, which is pretty cool. Against teams that you assume are also in the hunt, yes. ODU, Louisiana, and Marshall. Yeah, so that's, that's exciting. There's something to look forward to. I'm excited now. I'm excited for conference play. Love to hear that. Um I was going to have another point on conference play, but I completely forgot. Moving from one side of the hardwood to the other side of the hardwood, women's basketball, they found a way to win and kind of win convincingly against Maryland Eastern Shore. Took them down by 11 after trailing by seven at half. Any takeaways from this game? Like moving, like, can I buy, do I buy stock now or do I still wait a little bit and just see what happens with this team? They've had ugly games. Like, even in the Kenny Brooks era, they had, like, ugly wins. So it's it's better that those are turning to wins, right, where the yeah. main game, I would argue, is, like, an ugly loss. Yeah. Um. So so that's a positive for sure. And they've, you know, their only loss since the main loss is to North Carolina. It's a game they, I think they led that at halftime against a really good UNC team. So I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. But, right, if we go on the men's side and we talk about how all these Sunbelt teams aren't as good as people say because they have one possession wins. I can't come to the other side and be like women's basketball, much of one possession win. Like, it'd be nice to see them kind of put their foot on the gas and take care of business against teams that they're probably more talented than. Um, so they'll have some chances in non-conference play. Kiki Jefferson didn't play well against Maryland Eastern shore and they still won. That's a positive. Yep. But there's so many of the same things where it's like shooting turnovers playing out of control where it's like, you, I got to see a little more yeah. to think that you're going to win the Sun Belt. Yeah, I've been called too negative, a little elitist at times, so I don't want to <laughs> rag on this team too much. Um, I think there's a lot of positives here that I hope are built on. The second half, especially the fourth quarter, were really, really promising. But at the same time, I know Kiki was in a little bit of foul trouble. She wasn't having her best game. But coming into the fourth quarter, Kiki Jefferson, I believe, had no points and three shot attempts. She finished with seven points and 11 shot attempts. So she took eight attempts in the fourth quarter, if my math is correct and if I'm remembering things correctly. And that's around the same time JMU pulled away and hung 17 on them in the fourth quarter and held them to six. So I'm not saying Kiki Jefferson is the engine that makes JMU run, but Kiki Jefferson is the engine that makes JMU run. 
And I just don't get how you can only have her have three shots going into the fourth quarter while Oderkirk has six, Kozlava eight, Hazel six, and Jermon three. McDaniel twelve. Cheyenne row five. Jeez Louise. Clarinet it's, one it's, four. It's one where you almost like are okay playing her through foul trouble. It's something yeah. like I don't know. Like if you play her. She also only had three. And only you pull three. away, right? You pull away there, maybe you, you take the lead or whatever and make it go. I mean it ended up working out, so you can't complain that much. But yeah. Peyton McDaniel was incredible. Yeah, I think Peyton whoo. the the team in the season, you don't want to put too much pressure on one person. I think it's gonna depend a lot on how good Kobe King Hawaii is. Because we kind of have an idea. We of what should they have look. a Kobe King Hawaii counter in the bottom. Well, yeah, right can we get an idea of when you, when like no, no, in no, December she's eligible? Not that because you say her name <laughs> probably 15 times an episode, and it's one of the funniest things. She is, according to reports, according to, to Coach O, like she's a big time difference maker and scorer. Somebody who can go out there and, and put up some points and do a lot of things. If you add that with McDaniel and Jefferson, I think you're going to be good. Yes. Have you looked at her stats? She was like a Juco transfer who put up a ton of spots and then she barely played at Texas. Yes, that's exactly it. She averaged four points in 10 minutes and her career high is seven points. But she was also the number one Juco prospect in the country. And shot 40, 40 plus percent from three. Okay, fair, fair. So if you, put her, yeah, okay. if you put her, that's where I saw that too. And was like, because they've had some transfers before and other programs have too, where it's like big name school. And then they're like ninth on the depth chart at like their position. Yeah. And it was like, oh, but then he was Coach O and some, some off season stuff was talking her up. Like she's going to be one of our best players. And I think we've, right. He, I don't know. He also has talked about Claire Neff. Claire, I'm very confused by Claire Neff's usage. I will, I will say that. I will, that's very like a, true. It's like I a platoon she, with Oderkirk at this point, which is a little confusing to me. But that's very true because she's when she's good, she's like really good. It's yeah, it's just that like consistency is sometimes. Yeah. It's interesting because they have this talent, and this depth. So if if Hawaii is like as good as he was saying she can be, her McDaniel Jefferson plus that depth, yeah, you should win the Sun Belt because the Sun Belt is not that good. So if they have that going, it might take them like a few Sunbelt games to find their rhythm. But like by February, I would expect them to be like mashing people. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of my, that's my hope. So they finish out their season, their non-conference season with a December 11th matchup with William and Mary, then a December 17th matchup with Hampton, both of which on the road. Then they go into the hot classic, which is a little mini, um, mini conference no mini tournament that's the word mini tournament up in philly they're playing eastern michigan and neither st joseph's or wright state and then starting december 29th they will dive into their conference schedule starting with coastal odu at marshall at southern miss and uh using her hoop stats which is essentially the ken palm version of women's basketball they're you already we wouldn't have it, folks. You thought we wouldn't have yeah, you the thought we wouldn't have these numbers. I haven't pulled them up today. But when I looked the other day, and I should probably just I'll just pull it up. But when I looked the other day, <laughs> they were the top team in the Sun Belt, and they were still outside the top one hundred in the country, which I think puts in some perspective that like they should win, they should be at the top of the Sun Belt. I think they were picked to finish sixth or something kind of embarrassing yeah. for the Sun Belt people because that's doesn't make any sense. Um, but they're good. They're good. You know, they got some talent there. So it's like, just turn it on, show me what you got and go win the thing. As I'm pulling this up. It's not as user-friendly. I'll be honest with you. Jack. It's, <laughs> my subscription. I've, I've decided not to renew, but I have access still. It's just frustrating. Okay. I guess Troy is, is overpassed them now. So Troy is, is just above them. If I'm not mistaken, it's unclear what their actual national rating is overall here. Again, this is just—it's not nearly. This is nowhere near as um, as user friendly. This is unbelievable, unclear. But you can go by player by player and look at some of the things that they do well. And you've got advanced oh, stats, which is very impressive. Points per play, which I guess is a, a thing that they have on here. Points per scoring attempt. A little confused by what that even means. They have a player efficiency rating, 
an advanced statistic here, which I don't know what it goes to number-wise, but <laughs> Kiki is, is very much leading that uh, for the Dukes and Peyton McDaniel, a close second. Some of the youngsters up there as well, too. They've they've been pretty efficient at times this year. I love to hear it. I don't know I, why they don't I, have just like a ranking system. They do, but it's hard to find. It's ridiculous. I'm waiting with bated breath on how good women's basketball is going to be. Uh, I, I have – you found it? Okay, so there are 361 Division I teams. They're 130th in their ranking. They're 123rd offensively, 152nd defensively. Oh, yikes. So not horrible anywhere, but I think an area you could expect them to be better. The issue where they you look at it and you like start to gag almost. Turnover is, to assist ratio? Yeah, assist to turnover is not good. You look at assist per game is low, and just like assisted shot rate is insanely low. Like the lack of ball movement is something that has always kind of puzzled me because they play so fast. You'd think there'd be like boom, 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 little movement on a fast break. Yeah. It tends to not be a lot of that. It's kind of just like somebody takes the ball and steamrolls down. So, yeah. But they got Kobe King away coming, and people are saying that she could be the, the next best thing. I've, I've, I'm, I'm, I have hope, but I'm not buying in 100% to this team. Like what they did with Maryland Eastern Shore, especially in the fourth quarter was really good to see, really exciting to see that they have that capability. But the fact that Kiki doesn't have more than three shots, like I would just love to know why. Why isn't Kiki getting the lion's share of shots? If she's taking 20 shots per game, I don't think that's a bad thing. Also, I'm not paid to be a, a coach at the college level. So who knows what I'm, I really mean? But at the same time, come on, give, give me Kiki shots. I think this one was mostly foul trouble because she she played pretty limited minutes. But I am also on board with. But there's other games. I know she leads the team. There, she leads the team by a wide margin in shots taken. She's taken 101 (laughs) field goals, field goal attempts this season. Peyton McDaniel's next closest was 64. She's played fewer games, or like at least had fewer minutes in those games. Yeah, 100. percent She averages nearly 10 minutes less. Hazel averages about the same amount of minutes as Kiki and has taken 61 shots. I don't know. It just seemed like when the team was playing not out of control, like they were playing half-court sets and they were passing the ball well. There was one play where I think it was Jermon up at the top of the key, throws it down to McDaniel, who gets a really good running layup, almost gave me reminiscent ideas of uh, Kelly Kashuda, her really ugly shot from the chest that somehow always made its way into the hoop. She was a scorer. She was a scorer. (laughs) But, like, things like that. You you don't need contested mid-range jumpers. Pound it down low. Like, I don't – like, it just seems like at times they just play really heavy iso ball and then hope Kiki yeah. bails them out. And maybe what I'm asking for isn't more Kiki shots, but it's more plays and sets that finish with a Kiki shot rather than, here you go, Jefferson. Have fun. ball movement could probably, probably do yeah. well. I will say the part that excites me, McDaniel's shooting 47.5% from three. Kiki's shooting 43%. Yeah. If if King Hawea shoots over 40%, <laughs> you have three shooters like in the 35-plus range from three, they become way different, right? Because it's one in the past where like they've lost games solely because they go like two of 20 from three. If they have three shooters who can knock down— What game down, are you talking about? A lot of them. If you can <laughs> knock down some of those threes more consistently and then the other players don't have to really shoulder a scoring load and they can just like rebound and defend— I would be very excited about their prospects. I agree. Now, moving on from the hardwood, we got some listener questions, some awesome questions, actually. Only three, but three very good ones. Bubba Fisk started things off tonight. What are each of your go-to beers at Three Notched? And then he says, if JMU scores 120-plus on Galladay <laughs> on Saturday, he'll go try one. <laughs> That's incredible. For me, I love the uh, the 40 Mile and the Minuteman are two that I like. Boring. Yeah, but they have them everywhere, which is why it's like an easy go-to. It's like anywhere three notch, you you can have those signature beers. So those are two that are, are pretty darn amazing. But pretty much everything they do, I like. And then when if I'm at their um, – they have an apple crumb. Yeah, they do. When did, Was that there when we were there? No. I need that bad. God. <laughs> oh, man. That looks good. A red ale apple crumb. Try that one if you're in Harrisburg. Get the get the uh, apple crumb. My favorites are the King of Clouds, and then if you're in um, 
in a place that has the Emperor of Clouds. Emperor of Clouds is the exact same beer as King of Clouds, but instead of being just an IPA, it's an Imperial IPA, so a double IPA. little juicier, in my opinion, a little bit better mouthfeel um, and higher alcohol content, which is always fun. But also, you can never go wrong with a three-notch ghost. True. Those are pretty good. Those are amazing. Their blood orange has been fantastic. Their watermelon's really good. Blackberries out of this world. Um, I've never had their passion fruit, but I cannot imagine a passion fruit ghost being bad. Any ghost is a go-to, but when it's when it's winter, I like to sway a little bit more to the Emperor of Clouds. I love that. That was her most thorough answer, like a big year on listener question. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't even sport-related. Um, James Hemphill. Who's going to be our fourth non-conference game next year? Who do you think it'll be? And can you also tell me the 17 teams that are capable? Yes, of let me find team? let me find the Shane Metlin tweet that has that information. I think he replied it somewhere. This is fantastic podcasting. He also had a nice series this week. Um, and I guess going back to last week with interviews with Bourne that were really interesting about Signetti and some other things that are worth checking out Shane front of the program that we like to harass on Twitter, but we still love his work. <laughs> it makes it fun, man. I love how we don't give Noah any crap. And then with Shane, we just constantly sass him, but he does some pretty great work for the DNR. All right. So his list of teams that could have open dates that match JMU is a pretty thorough list. He says he might've missed some, which is fair. Cause he looking through the 131 teams is super tedious, annoying, but Clemson, Miami, Georgia tech, SMU, Tulane, Utah State, Ohio, Florida International, and North Texas. Okay. Can I give you my two? Yep. I like Miami or Tulane. Tulane would be sweet, right? Group of five champ. Yeah. This year, probably kind of winnable. Probably going to be a road game, but well, it's probably, I think they're, the plan is to be a road game. The Clemson one would be cool but like probably not going to end that well yeah especially when they figured out their whole quarterback situation when they realized oh dj's not a good quarterback let's put in this club nick kid who can actually throw a football past the line of scrimmage the other one that i think would be okay well all of them are okay but i think georgia tech would be fun get one in that atlanta area i don't know if they're actually going to be any good so maybe you steal one there uh and then ohio they're nine wins this year going into their bowl game they're planning on playing miami ohio so it's like Almost a straight replacement in terms of MAC team in Ohio, but they <laughs> could be coming off a ten-win season, which is one that you could easily like beat them, be better than them, and be like, "Wow, we beat a team that won ten games last year." A little like Middle Tennessee, where it's like they were a bold team and we beat them. Look at what we've done; we're amazing. So I could see Ohio being a winnable yet somewhat entertaining game. What about the name credibility of Miami? Wouldn't you like to go down and beat Miami, a 1990s powerhouse in 2023? We already have the transitive property win over Miami this year. That's very true. I didn't even think of that. Middle Tennessee. No, Miami yeah. would be cool. Miami would we be also have the tran- would be cool. We have the transitive win over LSU. No one's talking about that. People aren't talking about that at all. No one's no one's talking about that, and I think it's a damn shame that no one's talking about our transitive What's the, win over what's, LSU. Oh, the A&M, the easy A&M path, yeah. The A&M gives us so many options for transitive wins. God, if only we had beaten Marshall and had the Notre Dame transitive, that would have been pretty big. That would have been awesome. We would have been insufferable on Twitter. <laughs> it was like the start- one year, I think it was the one year we had like five wins, and I took the time to figure out the transitive property win over Duke in basketball. Yeah, I love that. I think we should start doing that for, for basketball since we've had so few accomplishments <laughs> the last like decade, like covered against UVA. <laughs> Hang the banner. Also, I just saw your tweet about the ACC network calling the UVA JMU game a rivalry. Oh, yeah, that was awesome. When the opening segment, they're like a regional rivalry. And then somebody who covers uh, Zach Harry, who covers UVA for SB Nation, was like, good win for UVA in a rivalry. I was like, hell yeah, we're rivals. <laughs> more people are saying this than I expected. <laughs> because you expected zero. Um, so, yeah, those, those, are, those are who we'd like to see play in that fourth non-conference game. And then the, I think this is a really good question from Dan, at Dan30614772. Um, his picture is of a crypto monkey. <laughs> 
Oh, alright, Dan. I don't why that, why that needed to be mentioned, by the way. It's like, ah, we'll just skip this one. He has a crypto. Oh, no. His question's really great. What is the NIL situation for football? And I think it's something not a lot of people, or at least I haven't seen a lot of talk about, but you have these teams, like the Hawkeyes of Iowa, have the Swarm, an NIL collective. You have almost every single Power 5 school have a quote-unquote NIL collective. Um, they've named it something cool. It's essentially boosters putting their money in a big pool and figuring it out ways how to divvy it up. Not straight pay for play, but the booster saying, we have this type of money if you want to sponsor our car dealership and do one commercial and we'll pay you. That type of thing. That's kind of what a, like a collective is essentially just the boosters coming together for another yeah. thing. Uh, JMU does not have a collective. JMU doesn't have an NIL initiative that I am aware of. Do you know of anything in the works? I think we just bankroll the players. You know, we, we typically offer them whatever we can, whether it be 10 or $20 per win. And they come and they take advantage they of that. They wear JMU Sports News arm sli- shooting sleeves. That'd be so funny if we had those. Vada, <laughs> That's our pay- guy. That's our guy. Vada, we pay you $10 for every made three with that arm shooting sleeve on. It's just one game he wears it and he's chucking like every every time he touches. It's like against wow, Galadet. Against Galadet, he goes he goes thirty of forty, and we're like, wow, we're bankrupt. <laughs> we love that kind of money, man. We're sorry. <laughs> no, I don't know. It would be interesting if they put some more. If they hadn't organized something or other. I don't know how much stuff behind the scenes if there is, if any. I know some small businesses I think have had some some deals with people here or there i think odyssey alexander had one but it was post post grad yeah. it was like a local color car dealer that also wasn't nil yeah i guess because it was just a deal after graduation <laughs> but it was it was a similar thing where it's like all right somebody reached out that yeah. didn't seem to be facilitated at all with the university which makes sense because she wasn't anymore but um i don't know it'd be cool if they had do you see frank harris today from utsa what do you get he announced he was returning for a sixth year with like prominent people from San Antonio, which was like, oh, ah, like, like they were like, come back. <laughs> I saw I saw something and this is more of a general discussion of NIL right now rather than how it pertains to JMU. But I've seen a lot of reports saying that some of these fringe guys who are fourth years who have a fifth year to come back or even juniors who have that senior year to come back and play that otherwise would have gone to the NFL and like tested the undrafted market um, are now staying because NIL will pay them more than what an undrafted free agent contract will pay them. And I think that is a slept on good thing of NIL where we, I think it's an unintended consequence, but in a good way, like Frank Harris before is testing the draft waters and he's probably going undrafted. He's signing a deal, maybe making a practice. And this is no slight to Frank Harris. He's one of the best mid-major quarterbacks out there. But you just don't see mid-majors always convert to the next level. Um, But, like, best-case scenario, he's a third-string, second-string guy on Mm -hmm. league minimum. But now he's probably making a lot more than league minimum as San Antonio is bankroll. The city of San Antonio, not actually the city of San Antonio, but is bankrolling him to play at UTSA. Yeah. It's, but that's a, that's all to say that no JMU doesn't have an NIL anything. Um, yeah, nothing, nothing official. It'd be interesting to see if something happens. I know, like the what the Alpha Dogs or whatever they were called did a lot. What was it uniform wise? I think so. JMU. Yeah, I think we had an inaccurate story with the Breeze that got up for like an hour. Anyway, about like why are we paying for this with uh, student fees? And it's like we're not. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Anyway, um, yeah, it's it's all. It's all pretty interesting, the NIL world, because it's it's one where, like, the better JMU gets, the easier I could see a late-year player being, like, had a great year at JMU, can move up to a Power 5, and even if I'm not necessarily an NFL guy, I could have one year of, you know, whatever they would get paid for NIL. Would have been awesome to see Todd get an NIL deal, like, midway through this year, and then like as like the blueprint for other transfer quarterbacks to come in and be like, Hey, look, we kind of have this set up for you. It's also worth noting that a lot of NIL deals right now that are occurring and correct me if I'm wrong, Bennett aren't facilitated through the player directly. Like players are trying to get agents and trying to get agents earlier. And I just don't think that at the mid major level, 
they have the reason to bring a agent on board. So I think that's why you don't see NIL as in in the weave, kind of in the fold as much as you do at the power five level. Cause like Stetson Bennett is going to have an agent because he's going to go to the NFL right. or he's going to try to go to the NFL. So of course he's going to sign his agent now, but Mikel Kamara isn't going to sign an agent to get an NIL deal. Like he's worth like not to sound like a boomer, but he's going to care about football. He's not going to care about what's happening off the football field. But it's also, yeah, it's kind of a spot too, where like not worth, get it like a lot of the nil stuff is somewhat overblown like the idea that like every good quarterback in college football is making a million dollars right like i think some people they hear like one story about a&m doing something text a&m or something and they're like we need to give all of our stars a million dollars it's like that's not really true because like a lot of the times like realistically how much is a jamie's quarterback worth like to a business probably not that much like i'm not buying a product if like the Sunbelt champion quarterback tells me to, I think there are spots where like, if there are a person that people really like in the community, it could become something like Grayson McCall has some NIL value. I would imagine because he's been at coastal for three years and has his Mohawk and is like, I pissed heel. Like, you know, I mean like there are things there that I think you could do, but it's like not every player has that opportunity. Not every school has that same level of opportunity. It's also an impression basis. Like this is all just pure marketing and like people like, well, we need to pay the players. We're not, we're not paying. This is all marketing. So unless you have some really wealthy booster who doesn't care about the bottom yes. line and is just willing to throw money, and I don't think JMU has that, and I don't think they should have that. They don't need that. But NIL, it comes down to impressions. How many people are seeing your product? And how many people, when they hear the name Dodson Teo, associate O'Neill's Grill? At this point, not a lot. And then unless you're like able to do stuff post-game or in-game, or there's talking of it, or you have a commercial that's able to be aired. You're also just not on national television as much as these power five kids, even what these coastal Carolina kids are on like national television a few times a season. Jamie was on national television twice. And one of them was NFL network and the ESPNU game for the second time wasn't even known until two weeks before. So like a company that wants to sponsor a, a student athlete, isn't going to go after a JMU player who's playing on ESPN plus for 80% of the season. Yeah. And it's also one where, right? Like you're going to be like, wear my arm sleeve at noon when Ohio state and Michigan play and you're on ESPNU beating the crap at a coastal for the like brand awareness. Like it's just, there is going to be a smaller amount of eyeballs and things like that. The other thing with NIL that's maybe more interesting is like JMU's women's sports. Like there've been multiple years where like softball players would be the, like probably the athlete that had the most like NIL potential with Megan Megan good and Odyssey Alexander. (laughs) And then like, like let's say that COVID didn't happen and freshman freshman Kiki's on a tournament team. And then her personality is unbelievable. Like Kiki's awesome when she's in front of the camera and like talking to people. So like, that's one where even she is like marketable. So it's interesting. I know we all think football, like, Oh, what quarterback can we keep or get right with NIL? But I think some of it is like, I wonder what could happen with the women's sports, which are wildly popular at JMU. Yeah. That's a fantastic point. Um, as we're over an hour here, quickly. One more question. There was one more question. Just got thrown in from Youngblood. Youngblood. Robbie Youngblood, but there's no U. It's a, I think it's a V. But anyway, Rob Youngblood is what we're calling him. Best pizza in Harrisonburg. Dominoes. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. This first down presented by your locally owned Domino's, JMU. My answer is going to be super elitist, bro. You know, we really strive for non-elite takes. If your answer doesn't start with a C, though, it's wrong. No, do not say Bella Luna. Yeah. Do not <laughs> say Bella, Bella Luna. Luna. Yes. I'm a Bella Luna stan. I will go there every day of the week. I love that place. That is, you're, you're a Chinello's guy? That's so elitist. Yeah, I know, but I don't, I don't care. It's good. That's not like I'm not ordering. Well, I don't even know if you can order. Can you order Bella Luna? No, my no answer is Benny's. No free ads. We, we don't care. <laughs> mine's Benny's. Starts with a C? You tell no, me no, mine, Benny's? Mine, mine's Benny's. It was Chinello's. We're, so not, we're not elitist. Yeah, we're, we're I, for, I forgot about when I said Chinello's, I then forgot about Benny's. Benny's is the number one spot. Benny's is fantastic. Chinello's, which is what the the team got from yeah. part of my take for their little pizza party. 
It's not. They got it like Saturday at like noon. No, no, no. It's gotta be like at three in the morning, and then it's then it hits the spot. If you had it when you're sober, you're just gonna feel sick. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, we had it once my freshman year. We ordered like the big pie with the big slices at like Saturday yeah. at one p.m. and oh, then we were eating good. it. And we're like, oh, this isn't this isn't what we remember from last night. No, you have to be like like really dizzy oh, and then you're like garlic shots. <laughs> <laughs> But if uh, if you're a graduate who's an elitist graduate, check out Bella Luna. Bella Luna is really good. Don't get their pasta though. Do not stick to pizza only at Bella Luna. I would, yeah. That's that's the play. Yeah. All right. Anything else you want to add? Transfer portals popping. Keep an eye out, folks. A lot of wide receivers. Jamie was targeting a lot of wide receivers, and Noah Flushman has been doing a fantastic job at keeping up who's in the portal and who's been offered. And what? just a fantastic breakdown. If you can find Noah on Twitter, um, Noah Flushman, DNR writer. You all know him. You all love him. He's been covering Jamie football this whole season. One last question for you before we get out of here. What happens if they all say yes? You Are we an all-wide receiver team? I'm very interested to see who, like, why hasn't anyone from JMU gone into the portal? Or have they? If they have and no one's reported on it, that's bad. I don't think that's happened. I wonder, though, if it's the same thing like last year where it's like uh, everything is going well, we don't expect anything, and then Tucker Dorsey is like, goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Like late after the window opened. But I I will be surprised, like, if they do add a lot of those guys, like, do they have enough? Well, I guess you have a lot of extra scholarships as you're doing this move up. Like, and they, they lost. Have, they like, lost a lot of receiver in terms of like yeah, graduation. The yeah, that's true. Good point. Yeah, that was weird with Diamante Tucker Dorsey. It was like three months before the season. He had gone through spring practice. Yeah, I didn't like that at all. You know, it would have been nice to have him. This is also the portal thing you have to do as a fan. Is when your guy leaves, you got to be like, "This is what's wrong with kids these days." And then when they come in, you're like, "This is for the better of his academic good." Also. I know we're at an hour, we're over an hour. We're we're touching on an hour ten here, real quick. But I want to get your take on this. Oh crap! What was my take? What was, <laughs> what was it? We were talking transfer portal. Transfer portal. Players leaving. Fans sassing them. Oh, I'm anti-human uh, adults tweeting at recruits. So <laughs> you're asking? No. <laughs> It was it was gonna be a joke on like the transfers making like their graphics and saying like Oh, the, I love the checklist. The but it, it was a funnier question joke that I genuinely was gonna ask as a question, but But with that being said <laughs> Thank you, thankful to first and foremost God and not only God, Jesus. I just like and with, like I love this place, I love this school, I love my teammates, there's nothing I love more than this place. With that being said. I want to get the hell out of town. Call me. NIL deals anything. I'm open. <laughs> Just like, I love it here, but I hate it here so much. <laughs> With that being said, for Bennett Conlin, my name is Jack Fitzpatrick. You guys have a wonderful rest of your day. See ya. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.